Hey, Drew Dixon back with you for another Bible Thump, and we find ourselves in one of the most iconic passages in the Gospels, um, and this is Jesus telling us what it looks like to follow him, and also Jesus laying out a way of life that's pretty radical um, and pretty special. I think maybe in this passage, at least for me, this is that passage that just sort of makes Jesus stand out in a way that's impossible to ignore. Like, if the way of life Jesus lays out here is one that people would buy into and embody and embrace, um, like, I really think the world would be a different place than it is now. Um, like, I think the world would be a more loving, kinder, gentler, um, more welcoming, um, more secure, less anxious place than it is today. Um, like, I think that's the kind of like level that this teaching is. Um, and so this is one of those passages for me that's like sort of um, affirms and, and solidifies like why I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'll tell you, well, I'm a Christian for a lot of reasons, but um, one of the main reasons that I'm a Christian is because like, I think nobody loves like Jesus. I think when we look in the Gospels, we see someone who embodies love on a level that that nobody else does, that embodies love consistently on a level that no one else does. Like, if the Gospel writers are telling the truth, and I, I think they are, um, then, then nobody comes close to being um, a man of love, a person of love, a human of love. Um, like Jesus is. So let's look at it. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Mark writes, Then he, Jesus, began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around, he looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not thinking about God's concerns, but about human concerns. Um, don't want to be called Satan, uh, and certainly don't want to be called Satan by Jesus. So it's like an important moment. But here, here, here comes the key. Verse 34, Calling the crowd again with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel, because of the good news, will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world, yet lose his life? What can a man give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Um, so, few things to notice right off the bat. Like, Jesus, first of all, um, embraces this idea of his position, of his role as the Messiah, as the king. Um, he is claiming kingship here. He says, um, like, you don't want to be, you don't want me to be ashamed of you in the end. And he says, the son of man, which is like a, a, a kingly title from Daniel chapter 7, from other places in the Bible, he says, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So he's saying, the Son of Man is coming back. Like, I'm coming back. I'm rising from the dead, and I'm coming back with God behind me, like God in my corner. I'm coming with God. 
like in his glory, back to earth, and with the holy angels. So he paints this picture of his return uh, as a resurrection from the dead, but also as a return in glory, in power, in authority. But how does he establish his kingdom? Well, he promises that he's going to establish his kingdom through suffering and death. And resurrection, but suffering and death come first. Um, that's just not the way that anyone ever establishes a kingdom. And this is why Peter rebukes Jesus and pulls him aside and says, No, you can't die. Like, you've claimed, you've told us you're the Messiah. This is not what messiahs do. Like messiahs take charge, they command, they get people to, um, you know, they, they take care of the oppressors. Like they, Messiah in every Jew's mind in this time would have thought that, you know, every Jew in this, in this time would have thought of Messiah as someone who's going to come in and take care of Rome and take care of Israel's oppressors and put Israel on the map again, make them a, a strong and powerful nation again. But Jesus says, no, here's what it looks like to be a part of my kingdom. It begins with suffering. It begins with rejection. It, in many ways, begins with death. And so when Peter says, hey, you can't do that, you can't go and die, Jesus says, no, you're actually thinking along the lines of Satan. He's not, he's not actually calling, he's not saying, Peter, you're Satan. He's saying, that's the kind of thinking, that's, that's satanic thinking. I mean, think about when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. What did Satan want him to do? He said, you know, um, throw yourself down from this fountain, throw yourself off this cliff, and the angels will will, will save you. Um, he's tempting Jesus to a premature death. He's tempting Jesus to try to establish his kingdom without suffering. Um, he's tempting him to avoid the cross, I think. He, you know, he says, bow down and worship me. These are, are uh, and I'll make you powerful, right? That's what Satan tells him. Um, he's tempting Jesus with power. He's tempting Jesus to avoid the cross. Um, and Jesus knows that his vocation is one of suffering. But it's not a mindless suffering. It's not just suffering to prove how strong he is and so that he comes back stronger. It's suffering for us. It's suffering with a purpose. It's suffering to um, raise us up, to give us a future resurrection, to forgive us of our sins, and to ensure for us new life. New life now as renewed people, as people being restored into the image of our Creator through Jesus, but also a future renewal, a future resurrection. And so Jesus doesn't waste any time like dialing in on the significance of his future death. And it's not just about our salvation, it's also about our way of life. Like his determination to go to the cross was um, represents a way of life that he embraced. And it also represents a way of life he calls us to embrace. He calls us to follow him in. So he calls the crowd and he says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. What does it benefit to gain the whole world and let lo lose your life? Um, you see what he's saying here? He's saying, I conquer through self-sacrifice. Now, if you want to follow me, you embrace my way of self-sacrifice as you operate and live in the world. Now, he's not telling us, uh, like, like a cross, the cross 
uh, and the, the cross was a, a a picture of execution of death in the ancient world. Um, so it's very clear what Jesus is saying here, but it, I don't think we should necessarily take it to mean that Jesus is calling us all to like go and be hung or electrocuted or um, crucified or, or executed. Like that's not the point he's saying that we ought to embrace his mentality of self-sacrifice. We ought to see our lives. This is what it means to follow Jesus in many ways. It means to see our lives as something that's worthy of giving up for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of the good news going forward, for the sake of more people hearing the good news of, of new life in Jesus, for more people um, connecting with the purpose for which they are made through a relationship with Jesus. Um, that's what Jesus gave his life to. He gave his life to the purpose of renewing people, resurrecting people, giving them hope. And he was willing to give his life to, to do that on a regular basis. Nobody has ever loved like Jesus loves. And the call to follow him is a call to see and embrace that love and to see that that love is offered us. But it's also a call to, once we've received that love, then we, we, we ask ourselves, how can I express and embody that love out in the world? So here's the really simple challenge for you. What does it look like for you to take up your cross this week? What could you give up? What could you sacrifice? Um, how could you put yourself last so that someone else could be loved and served and pointed to Jesus. Maybe it's doing something nice for your spouse this week. Maybe it's doing, giving up more of your time to um, really give focused, intentional time to your children. Maybe it's serving in your church in some way. Maybe it's um, finally going and serving in the soup kitchen. Or um, you know, maybe it's just giving some time to help a neighbor in need this week. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that this is why we're here. Um, go find a nerd in your life who you can love and serve this week. Uh, it doesn't have to be a nerd. Go and find someone you can love and serve this week and point to Jesus. Um, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. No one loves like Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is not just that he loves us and invites us to eternal life in him, but he calls us to invite others to that love and to express his same love in the world for the glory of God and for the good of the world. Let's think about a way we can step into that. Let's think about a way we can embody that love. Um, thanks for your time. We'll see you next week.